This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Persuasion is the act of convincing someone to do or believe something. But what makes some people so persuasive while others aren't? Why do some salespeople, for example, have the ability to sell water to fish? I'm Darshan Johan and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is Sandy Clark. He's a licensed counsellor. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back on your show. Um, It's a pleasure to have you back again. So what makes some people so good at persuasion while others struggle? That's a good question. And I think that um, maybe a a good example of people who are very persuasive uh, at at, um, getting people to act in a certain way or maybe salespeople, uh, certainly car salesmen, or who re- really sort of get a sense of what you're after, you know, and right. uh, tap into perhaps some of your um, emotions, values, beliefs, etc. So let's say, for example, you're on a, a, a sort of car showroom, you walk into a, a sort of luxury car right. showroom, right? So straight away, um, the, the the car salesman knows that you're into very you know expensive cars. You might um, be attuned to what that says about you in a social context. You know, having social proof, social value, and so on. And so, you know, confident salespeople will, will approach you with charisma and build rapport very quickly. They'll they'll play on your emotions. Um, they might sort of build up a picture in your head of what it, what it's like to have this product and how it will you know make your life better or sort of more exciting and so on um and they'll also employ sort of sales tricks right? right so for example you walk into a car showroom you're really interested in a particular car uh but you're kind of deliberating whether to go for it or not uh so the car salesman says well do you know what we have a few people actually interested in this car and someone actually put down a, a sort of um you know a, a deposit uh, right. earlier so they said they're <laughs> going to come back tomorrow so you know if you really want this car perhaps you need to sort of you know uh sign the contract today or they might say something like um if i could you know you've asked some questions about the monthly pricing and so on and i know that that's you know quite a pain point for you or whatever if i can get you this monthly price um would that make you sign the the, the contract right. that that be something that we can do because my my manager my supervisor he, he'll give this price today but i don't know what he's going to say tomorrow mm-hmm. so they create this kind of immediacy this kind of you know urgency for you to really take action but but people become more savvy toward sales techniques and, and persuasion so some of um, the more uh sort of smart or switched on or more subtle salespeople now will sort of reverse the role, right? So they might say, they might get really hyped up about a product and say something like, well, we have a few buyers interested in, in, in this particular product. Um, you know, there's a few people came along earlier today and, and were thinking of buying it. But why don't you just, you know, go home, think about it. You know, there's no <laughs> rush. Uh, it, it's, it's okay. So what that creates in you is this fear of missing out, this sort of scarcity. right? And it also sort of projects from the salesman's point of view, well, I don't actually need your custom. I'm all right, um, but it, but you're the one that really wants the product. So sometimes that reverse psychology can be quite um, powerful as well because it means that you're going to miss out, uh, and and that's quite a powerful um, sort of emotion to uh, you know evoke in someone. 
Right. Now, you brought up uh, a lot of uh, interesting examples. Um, In the past, Sandy, uh, Sandy, you've cited Robert Caldini as one of the sort of masters of understanding persuasion. Why so? Well, uh, he's a renowned professor of of marketing, business and psychology. Uh, He wrote two very well-known books. Uh, The first uh, is called Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion. And his um, follow-up to that was a book called Persuasion, which uh, and the sort of subtitle for that book is a, a revolutionary way to influence and persuade. Um, and his 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 book Influence: The Psychology of Persuasion really sort of takes a deep dive into uh, you know how we are influenced in terms of our decision making processes, how we are swayed by different emotions such as happiness, excitement, or guilt. And he gives like a lot of examples, um, you know, how we might be susceptible to uh, certain persuasive techniques. Um, so uh, when it comes to persuasion, uh, he discusses in that book uh, how people create a favorable context in relation to um, the environment, timing or mood of a situation right. uh, to, to create a more receptive audience. Right. So and he he is kind of susceptible to these um uh, things himself right so even though he's a, a master of this field he's a renowned psychologist i think in the book uh, persuasion he talks early on about how when he came to write the book um he was invited to uh, a university to make use of the the, the resources there he was going to take a semester to, to try and write the book mm-hmm. um so the dean of the the faculty said look we've got your big office there's um a new computer there for you all the resources you need you know don't worry about it so um Gildini was um very appreciative very grateful about this um and just at the right timing the dean said oh and just just one thing if 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 you don't mind you know i've got a a business class that i need to teach this semester right. but i'm not available for it can you can you step in <laughs> Now, the interesting thing is Cialdini had said, if he called me one day later, I would have said, well, you know, I've, I've got a book to write. I, I really can't. I don't have the time. But right. because he'd already built up this persuasion of, look, we have given you a great office, new computer, resources. It invokes this sense of gratitude, excitement, you know, this kind of deep appreciation of what's being done for him. So when the favor request comes, he's not in a position to say no, because emotionally, He's really grateful. He would feel bad about saying no. But this happens outside the awareness. These aren't conscious choices. So right at the the, the sort of timing of a heartbeat when the request comes in, you're already on the sort of flow of being agreeable. So you're going to, you know, uh, agree to the request. Uh, So it's a very interesting principle, uh, persuasion. Right. Um, You know, yeah. So so what, what exactly is persuasion? How does persuasion help? persuasion and how is it different from persuasion persuasion is how you sort of influence something influence a person to do something right there's there's quite a few obstacles perhaps right. when you're trying to persuade someone coldly right let's say for example i was to ask you um okay um next week i have an event on uh so i, I i'm struggling to look for an mc so can you fill the gap can you come in and do the event um it's going to you know it's going to be loads of um, good food there's going to be loads of people it's going to be a really great night um you know can you do this and you say no i don't really have the time or it's a bit short notice but if i was to say to you something like you know i, I invite you maybe for a coffee or a dinner and i say look i've got this event i need to organize within two weeks um but i've got no planner can you would you be able to um organize the event for me 
Um, so you say, well, oh, that's that's far too short notice. I don't even know how to plan an event. Um, right. You know, but I try and kind of build this up. It's really important to me. You know, it's, it's going to be a great night and so on. And you say, look, I really can't. I'm sorry. You know, I appreciate the dinner and all that stuff. Um, I'll say, okay, no worries. But you might say, but if there's anything else I can do for you, please let me know, right? Because you're feeling bad that I'm stuck and I brought you out for dinner and all that stuff. So then I might say, well, actually, you know, I I, I am missing an MC for the for the evening. Um, you know, it'd be a really great help if you could if if you could um do that. That that would be awesome. Um, and of course, you're thinking, well, MCing is not as bad as as organizing an event. I can do that. You know, that <laughs> takes about you know a couple of hours preparation. Um, so because I've kind of dialed down the intensity of the request as well, um, you're, you're going to be more favorable. And because I've brought you out for a dinner or a coffee beforehand, you know, get a bit of friendly chat going before. Um, so you, you're much more primed uh, to, to sort of um, be agreeable to that request. When you wrote about Saldini, you highlighted priming. What is priming and why is priming so important when we, you know, when we're trying to persuade someone to do something? So in, in, in psychotherapy, um, particularly um, psychodynamic approaches, there's this um, interesting idea that much of our um, you know, decision making, much of our the way we think and behave and react actually happens outside of our awareness. Um, we right. don't really know the processes that sort of, or at least we don't know consciously the processes uh, of how we make decisions or behave in certain ways. So Priming describes how our minds are influenced to act or respond um, in, in certain ways outside that awareness. Um, it's it's something that basically puts you um, in an increased or decreased likelihood of de- of doing something. So, and it's important because it makes people more susceptible to whatever you're trying to achieve, right? So, an example of that might be, um, for example, have you ever wondered why um, bars or clubs play loud music? You ever wonder that you go you go to the the bar or the club and they play the loud music right you're you're having conversations with your friend and suddenly it's like well I can't hear what they're saying right like, why do they do this right it, it doesn't make sense now I have to shout now I have to really focus in and pay attention right? the reason that they do that is because when you play loud music especially if it's music that you enjoy uh, that's going to make you more excited. It's going to make you more sociable. It's going to make it's going to make the adrenaline sort of rush. Right. Um, therefore, you're going to buy more food and drink because you consume quicker. Um, mm. Whereas if if you're sort of in a bar or a club and there's no music and it's just you and your friend, you're going to be much more sort of um, you know calm and and sort of measured, and you're going to take your time with your food and your drink. You're going to slow down. Um, so by playing loud music, it literally kind of speeds you up. Um, you know, that, that that sort of beat of the music kind of speeds you up, gets you excited. So you're going to order more drink. You're going to order more food. And then the more you're doing that, the, 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 the better you're feeling like. Um, right. Similar similar examples would be like free samples uh, in a supermarket, right? Incre- increases your likelihood of buying um, the, the product because you'll kind of feel bad taking a free sample of something from a worker who's standing there for eight hours uh, every day. So maybe you're going to buy the, the, the product because you've tried it already. Similar with test drives and car sales, right? Um, the reason why they allow you to take the car out and go for a spin is because you get to become sort of familiar with the car. It feels good. It's a new car. You know, you, you, you're sort of driving along the road. People are watching you. So you're being primed in that moment, you're thinking, wow, you know, there's so much trust going on here. You're giving me the car to take out and so on. 
Um, but really what they're doing is they're priming your mind to get acquainted with this thing. This is yours already. Um, right. You just need to come back and sign the paperwork and it's done. Right. So would you say priming is sort of um, like creating an environment or creating conditions um, in which a person would be more agreeable or more excited to do something? Yeah, a perfect example of that would be motivational speakers. And, you know, I won't name names, but I'm sure we can think of uh, famous examples where, you know, they get the crowd pumped up before they come on, right? With right. The music and the motivational um, sort of quotes on the screen and everybody's cheering or singing or dancing. And so they're in a heightened state of um, being receptive to whatever's going to come, right? So by the time the speaker comes on, you know, the, the, the crowd's ready to listen and, and buy into whatever message is coming. Same as if you go to a concert, right? The, the, the main band doesn't just come on straight away. They have a support act. They, they play some music. They, they give you time to sort of build up the anticipation, the excitement, so that when they come on, the crowd just erupts in, in absolute joy and they're just ready to go and, and, and really sort of be part of that experience. So it, it, it is that sort of priming, getting ready for, setting the people up for a particular reaction that you want to receive. On the show with me today is Sandy Clark. He's a licensed counsellor. After the break, we continue our discussion on the art of persuasion. Keep it here on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashran Johan. And on the show with me today is Sandy Clark. He's a licensed counsellor. And we're talking about the art of persuasion. So Sandy, I'm also fascinated by how some people can seemingly win people over even when, you know, what they're saying has no substance. Their speech has no substance. Um, it can be salespeople. It can be certain politicians who you know are talking rubbish. Um, you know, if you really analyze, but then you see a lot of people, um, you know, come out of their speeches saying, wow, that politician is really smart. I even remember that, you know, I was um, new to debate at, at one point. Um, I think there's many about when I was 18, 19 years old. And so I was just observing a, a debate competition um, and you know, my friend who was a senior in debate at the time uh, asked me to say, listen to these six contestants, uh, the six participants, and tell me who's the best. And so after listening to all, um, I said, oh, I was buying into person B. Um, you know, like that person B really convinced me of their arguments and so on and so forth. Then my friend who was much more experienced in debate said, hey, but you actually look at the points of what, what they're trying to say. Person B is actually one of the weakest. So... I'm wondering how did I, you know, buy into um, Person B's argument? I, I'm wondering if how one delivers a message, if, if person delivers with, with confidence, with convictions, maybe they are an eloquent speaker. Um, I'm wondering if that is just as important as what the message is about when it comes to persuading people. Oh, how the message is delivered is, is much more important than the content. Um, right. So... We, we can use a political example, um, you know, to sort of demonstrate this. So if you remember, um, do you remember the slogan when Obama ran for his first campaign? Do you remember what that slogan was? Yes, we can. So <laughs> the, the, the interesting thing about that slogan is it doesn't right. actually say anything. You're talking about substance, right? So right. Yes, we can means nothing. Nobody stopped to ask, yes, we can what? <laughs> <laughs> you know what are we doing here? Um, but but if but if you look at how that phrase is put together, it's very inclusive and positive. Yes, we 
can, right? And it's also rhythmic. It's in a sort of it's it's in a sort of waltz rhythm, right? So one, two, three, one, two, three. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Right. So it's it's, it's got this kind of rhythmic pattern to the, the slogan that when you repeat it, you start to feel good because you're repeating a positive message. Right. And again, that gets you sort of fired up, primed, ready for whatever message is, is going to be delivered. Now, when you um, you know, if you think about um public speaking courses or 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 you know debating societies and so on, they very rarely talk about the content of the message that you're trying to put across. They 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 will talk about techniques to engage with the audience, techniques to um invoke emotion or or to create shock value or whatever. You're not really, you know, the, the content is important to a degree, but it's more about how the how you make people feel, right? So for example, um if I think about my favorite um, art, which is one of um, Vincent van Gogh's um, cafe scenes that he painted, right? Okay. Uh, my favorite poem is, is a poem by T.S. Eliot. It's called The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Mm-hmm. Um, and my favorite song is um, one of Leonard Cohen's songs called Suzanne. Now, those right. three pieces, I couldn't tell you why they're my favorite. I, I, I couldn't write an essay about why they're my favorite. But they just invoke something in me. They... they, they, they move something in me in a particular way that just keeps me coming back to these three pieces um so how the message delivered is delivered is i would say much more important than the actual content right it's um you know research has shown that the way in which a message is delivered can have a significant impact on how it's received right um factors such as tone body language um non-verbal cues can all play a role in, in shaping our perception of the message. And I think one of the biggest mistakes we make collectively as, 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 as humans is that we have this idea that we are more rational than we are emotional, which couldn't be further from the truth. Right. We are much more emotional and much more reactive than we are rational and thoughtful. We just like to think that we're rational, but actually, um, you know, if if you have a, 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 a politician that gives a sort of, you know, aggressive or, or negative message or criticism, that's going to land far more powerfully than than, than somebody who um, may offer a positive message. The, the 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 sort of exception to that is if the positive message comes after like a negative experience, because then it gives people the perceived idea of change, right? Or right. thankfully, there's someone coming along that's going to clear up this mess or whatever. So Obama's "Yes, we can" resonated powerfully because there was this sense of just collective. You know, we could work collectively to like make something great here, and there's that constant positivity through the chanting, right? So the actual message, anybody could have delivered that, but not in the same way that he did because of right. all these kind of factors um, in his favor. Sandy, when reading up on Chaldini, one what fascinated me about um, persuasion is how a how there's a sly way for businesses to get people to accept exorbitant prices. Um, and that's by first quoting even higher prices. I mean you 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 tell people that from what I understand that you're that you know this product could cost so much more expensive than what is actually being charged. Uh, can you explain how exactly this works? So I, I think in the 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 persuasion book um Cialdini talks about um one of his friends or colleagues Right. Who would give a, a presentation. And then he often found that people were trying to sort of beat down his fees or, or his speaking fee. And so he changed strategy to um, almost include this kind of joke at the end of the presentation to say, well, look, 
I can't, obviously I can't charge a million dollars for all this stuff that you're <laughs> going to get. Um, that would be crazy. So what he's done there, like straight away on a subconscious level, is he, that he's done what's called uh, uh, price anchoring, right? So he, but this is a really extreme example. Mm-hmm. But still, you've got someone thinking about $1 million or, yeah, I'm not going to pay that. That's far too much. You know, it's like seven figures. You know, are you crazy? Right. So what he follows that up by is saying, look, you know, I'm going to, you know, this can all be a, a real steal at just $75,000. <laughs> and that's a much, you know, easier figure to sort of think about, right? Um, right. And, and therefore, it's, 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 it's easier for you to deliver or, or consider. And so, so it provides this kind of psychological um, anchor that, again, perf- uh, influences people's, people's perceptions and de- decisions, right? Mentioning the, sum, the higher sum creates a frame of reference um, that makes the actual pressure after seem more reasonable. So like a, 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 a usual technique in, in maybe asking for a raise or asking for an expecting salary is to set your bar a bit higher. You know, so I want a, I want an increment of, of $3,000. There's no way you're going to get that. What we'll give you is $1,005. That's as right. much as you can go. But you are really just looking for $1,000. But because yep. you've already set that price anchoring and it works, for example, in um, marketing when it comes to discounts or sales, you know, this thing was, um, you know, 10,000 ringgit. Now it's just a bargain at 2,000, um, you know, hurry while stocks last, you know, get it while it's still there. Um, let, in fact, let me ask you a question and we can we can demonstrate this. Right. So um, imagine you have two options. You've got a product that you can buy. uh a single product for 18 ringgit or two of those products for um, 30 ringgit, which which option is the best to go for? Right. It's always, you know, you always seem tempted to take the two products for 30 ringgit. Because you save money, right? Right. Instead of, instead of 36 ringgit, yes. you're, you're, you're saving six ringgit. Six ringgit, right. But there's a third option. You, you don't buy it at all, right? Um, you, you Instead of saving six ringgit, you, you're saving yourself 18. Right? You know, right. So, the, so the, this, again, is, is the price anchoring, this of invoking the emotion, the urgency, the immediacy, buy this thing because it's a, a, a value buy. Buy one, buy two, get one free. Well, do you even need the two in the first place? Right. <laughs> so, so, but you're already hooked in because it's such a bargain. So this is how these kind of price anchorings or, or sort of, um, you know, sales anchoring uh, discounts tend to work. Right. And can you talk to me about how the media, um, you know, takes advantage of these techniques or these methods to convince people? Think you're going to get us both into trouble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> suppose, I mean, if you if you think of the media, um, it, its job is basically to convey a message, right? And whenever right. you're conveying any kind of message, you're looking to elicit a certain reaction. So, I mean, there, there's multiple examples of this, right? So, if you compare, for example, a, a, a news story about a politician in a newspaper, right? There's a there's a big difference between saying starting the article off by saying you know housing minister Mr Brown this week defended claims that right. X Y Z compared to controversial politician Mr Brown was once again heavily criticised this week because right so the the the, the first one's much more tame right is going to be much more favourable uh, in terms of how we view Mr Brown right the second one you know controversial politician was once again heavily criticised straight away we're thinking this is a bad egg you know this is not right. a good guy to be following um, you know so so the way you shape news articles can certainly um, persuade or persuade people to take a certain uh, viewpoint 
Um, much of the news is quite negative, confrontational, keeps right. you engaged, um, keeps you fearful, keeps you in, in a state of anxiety, let's say. So you're constantly checking in for updates, right? Which is great for ratings, which is great for sales, uh, because you want to know what's happening next, what's happening next. Whereas if the news is, is good and positive and, and, and wonderful, it's why good news doesn't sell, right? If you were to fill a newspaper with good news, nobody would buy it because right. there's no threat. There's no um, reason to be excited. It might feel good, but that emotion is not nearly as powerful as some other kind of heightened state, right? On the other hand, um, newspapers or online um, you know, uh, publications might sell celebrity-endorsed products. Right? or have articles that say, let's take a look inside this billionaire billionaire's house. What that does is it might, it might ostensibly talk about, you know, this is what you can aspire to, or this is, you know, some positive message that you can kind of work hard and get to these kind of positions. But what it's really doing is it's making you compare against these really sort of glamorous people, right? I don't have all this stuff. I'll never have all this stuff. Oh, well, we've got some adverts in the next page for products that you might make your life slightly better. Right? Right. So, so it puts you in that state of, of, of feeling like you're lacking, but feeling like you're not enough, but feeling feeling like you just need something to make you feel better about yourself. Oh, well, turn the page and there we have products will be much more in your price range. Um, you can go out and buy today, right? And, and even the positioning of an advert in a newspaper would be usually the bottom right position of the page, right? Because when you turn the page, that's where your eyes end up because you're reading right to left all the way down. So the last position you'll see on a page is the bottom right hand corner. So if you have an ad placed there, you're likely to be more captivated by it. I'm wondering if positive comments can be a primer to persuade someone to do something. So for example, if it's me and you, we are having a conversation um, and at the back of my head, I know that I want you to help me with my English homework. I, I don't tell you that yet, but I come up and say, hey, Sandy, you know, you know that your English is really good. Hey, Sandy, do you know that, um, you know, throughout the years, um, I've learned a lot about English from you. Oh, hey, Sandy, like I, I noticed that, you know, you you read a lot of Shakespeare and literature and, and Stephen King and you have so many novels at home. No wonder your English is really good. And, you know, I learn a lot from you. I get a lot of book recommendations from you. So you you say these things and then, you know, later you say, uh, you know, you bring up, hey, I, I have this, this English assignment. Um, do you mind helping me with, with it? Do you think, uh, you know, this character, Sandy, is more inclined to uh, help me um, with my with my assignment because I've given all the, the positive com- uh, compliments um, prior to, yeah, and it, it's it's a really good point to highlight, right? Because not only does, does that work in um, positive uh, scenarios, right. it also works if the person is not really too keen on you to begin with. Mm. So one of the famous examples is of uh, you know Benjamin Franklin, one of the American founding fathers, and right. he had this idea um, when when he tried to win over opponents, whether it was to you know, pass legislation or come round to an idea, um, he's not going to get that done by saying. Um, you know, making persuasive arguments about the idea, right? So what he realized was what you can do is get the person to do you a small favor and then later on return to ask them for the bigger favor, right? So he would say something like, let's say he's talking to an opponent, he would say, you know, I really admire your your library and I didn't realize you were you were so well read and I, I realize you have uh, that volume that I've been really searching for for a long time. 
would you mind lending it to me for 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 a couple of days uh, just to read over it? Now that that's not a big cost to the the opponent. Franklin's not asking him to give anything up, um, you know, politically or whatever. Right. He's just asking, can you loan me that book for for two days? But what that does is, in in the opponent's mind, when you're doing a favor, even a small favor for someone, how your mind interprets that is, well, I must respect or like this person because otherwise I wouldn't do them any favors, right? Mm. So so again, that that's priming to to um, set the person up for the bigger favor. So when Franklin comes back and says, well, you know, later on, you know, here's the book, I really enjoyed it. Maybe a few days later, he then says, look, I, I'm wondering, I know this is a big ask and, you know, we've both been through this before, but I'm just wondering if you can do this thing for me and it would really help. And and because, you know, you, you've already set yourself up as someone who does favours for this person, right. you're, you're more likely to do that. So, of course, if it, if it's in a positive setting, if you're just kind of complimenting someone, then later on you're you're asking for that favor, then yeah, they're going to be more likely to 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 um, agree to that. Um, and if it's done sincerely as well, then it's going to have a a, a bigger effect. Um, a, a question I get asked sometimes is, you know, how do you manage to uh, help bring some psychologists or or people to Malaysia to give trainings and right. And, and one of the things that I always do when I get in touch with people who might be a sort of quote unquote big name is that I always reference the work that I've read and how it's helped me. Um, and that, you know, like I, I read your book and I really enjoyed this chapter. And, you know, I, I really think that if more people learned about your work here, that would really help um, sort of develop uh, your ideas here because there's a growing um, interest in, in your work and it would just be, mean so much to people. Um, if you could come and, and, and share some of your ideas um, right. rather than just kind of cold emailing and say, hey, you know, we've got this talk coming up. Can you speak at it? Uh, so you, so you're 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 building this kind of rapport, this kind of um, w- uh, warm relationship straight off the bat by giving that compliment, by giving that uh, sort of making the person feel useful in a sense. Right. And, you know, on the flip side, I- you know, can presenting weaknesses or or being you know upfront about your weaknesses make people um you know listen to you or you know be persuaded by what you're saying more when later on you tell them about your strengths? So, for example, you know, I'm thinking like if I want to convince someone to watch a particular movie, um, you know, I, I I open my you know I, my opening line would be, "Come on, uh, you know, you know, if you you don't have to trust me if it's about cooking or if it's about maths or if it's about business. Like I don't know anything about these things. I'm like really dumb at them. But you know, one thing I am really good at is movies. So I think you should watch this particular movie. I, I I'm wondering if framing sentences that way, where you're not coming off as someone who knows everything. Whereas, in fact, you're starting your sentence by listing off all the things you don't know, but saying that I what I do know is one this particular topic, and hence you should listen to me. Yeah, that, that that's a really um, fascinating observation that you make, right? That when you present your your sort of point in a certain way, uh, is that going to open someone up to be more likely to 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 receive it well, right? So, right. Um, I think what it does is that it when you are honest about your your weaknesses or you put yourself in a sort of lesser position, let's say, um, initially it makes you less threatening, right? Because most of us, uh, at least for some of the time, uh, consciously or otherwise, are always you know comparing 
to each other. You know, right. is that guy smarter than me? Is, is he get more uh, money, more status, more uh, sort of social value and so on? So when you are kind of open or self-deprecating, and again, it has to be in a sincere way because otherwise it, it, it's kind of really see-through, right? <laughs> so so if it's if it's if it's sincere, um, then people are gonna uh you know you're gonna appear more authentic and trustworthy. Right. Um and when people trust you, they're more likely to believe in your strengths and be influenced by them later on. Like you say, like I don't know anything about this, 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 this. But what I do know is movies, and I really think that you should watch this because uh, it's just so good or so life-changing or whatever. And because you've sort of prefaced that point with, you know, look, there, there is stuff I don't know about, and, and here's all the stuff. Um, or you can even augment that, right, and say something like, um, you know, when it comes to math or physics, um, I'm nowhere near your level. Like, you, you would blow <laughs> me out of the water. Um, but I think when it comes to movies, that's kind of more my strength. So, you know, this is one to watch. Uh, so you, you kind of you can use that in, in a way to use your weaknesses to complement the other person as well. But again, it needs to be authentic because otherwise it won't land well. Right. Um, you know what is fascinating about a lot of this is like you mentioned, a lot of these things are things that we don't necessarily actively think about. Um, before we, we started recording, you mentioned something uh, that you found fascinating that uh, when, you know, reading Cialdini, uh, and that is that even he is susceptible to the things that he himself talks about in the book. Yeah, so it, an interesting um, parallel to that would be, um, you know, if you know someone's complimenting you because they want to get something. So, right. you know, someone comes to you and says, um, Hey man, I, I've got this um, idea to to sort of talk on your show, and I would really love to <laughs> to 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 come on because you're such a great interviewer and you're such a you know great listener and so on and so on and so on. Now you know that they're maybe they are being genuine, um, but you, you've already heard the preface, right? Which is I want to come on your show, I want you're to right. get exposure or whatever it might be, right? Thing is, again, coming back to this idea that we're more emotional than than, than otherwise than than rational, even if we know what's happening. We're still likely to be affected by it because there's there's a lot going on outside of our, our awareness that we're not really um, you know conscious of, of course, because it's outside our awareness. So the very fact that someone's just making you feel good, um, even though your rational mind might be thinking hmm, they're after something, it's still going to land to some degree because it nevertheless feels good, right? With um, Cialdini, he he realized that he was getting caught up in that feel-good factor. The person gave him the office, the resources, the new laptop. The dean probably said, look, we're really grateful to have you here. It's awesome right. to have someone of your stature. That's just thank you for coming. So he's caught up in that sort of feel-good moment. And then the the, the request comes, um, you know, straight after the, you know, the, the, the feel-good stuff. So mm -hmm. you're already primed to say yes. Where if someone gives you compliments on the Monday and then says on the Wednesday, look, I've got this idea, can I come on your show? <laughs> it might not land so well because you get tight because it's cold. Um, and you're thinking, well, the idea is not so great. So um, maybe another time or if you come up with a different topic, then we can discuss. But at the moment, no. But if that comes off the back of compliments, you may at least consider, yeah, yeah OK, let's let's see how it goes. Um, you know, we can give it a run and, and, and see if it, if, it, um, if it sounds good. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's really quite powerful that that sense of um, yeah, really complimenting, getting under people's skin, sort of playing to their emotion, and even when they know what's happening, uh, they're still going to be susceptible at least to a degree.
Absolutely. And I think that's a very good way to wrap this conversation up. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sandy. Thank you for having me. That was Sandy Club, licensed counsellor, sharing on what we can learn about persuasion from Robert Caldini. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.